0: This is SideQuest Completed, the happiest Game Dead podcast with your hosts, Calvin and JC, coming to you every Wednesday with encouragement and advice on making your game a reality. SideQuest Completed.
1: Hey! Yeah. Well, maybe. So, <laughs> how
0: are you doing this afternoon? Yep. Uh, not too bad. Uh had busy morning earrings, whatnot, but finally cooling down a little bit, literally finally back in the AC. It's like 92 degrees here in Queens right now. I want to say this is also JC talking in the introductions just yet. with my co-host. Galvin. Galvin
1: right. Spielman. Yeah. Um, we actually already had half of that conversation before I remembered to hit the record button. <laughs> Repeated it just for the pleasure of you listeners. So you got to enjoy that. And uh, today we're going to talk about game developers who inspire us. And at least for myself, mm-hmm. I'm thinking kind of of the the people who I've interacted with or have some sort of visible present visible presence online that I can kind of get insight into who they are as developers. And yeah. like think you know people who are like I I want to do a I want to be that kind of game developer. However, all three of them are entirely different kind of game developers, which is about right in line with <laughs> my inconsistent goals and dreams uh, that have come up repeatedly on this show. So I think that's
0: about right. That same thing. I admit, I don't tend to go in the biographical direction, I'm much more focused on the work themselves and whatnot, which actually I consider a little small failing of mine, not doing more to delve into these people's lives because bi- biographies can be incredibly insightful and useful for the person reading them. But I've got some ideas, a few people have paid more attention to. I'll probably focus a lot on the studios as well, because the last thing I want to do is to fall into big man theory of history, focus too much on individuals and the really whole world- mm-hmm. teams around them. So I guess we want to just like, jump right into that. I've got my list. I think Calvin has theirs. That's right. And... Um how many
1: people do you have on your list? Because I I I would like to go back and forth, but I don't know how many. We did not really agree on like the size of the list ahead of time.
0: Like sixteen. Oh, I I went three. <laughs> okay, I'll try to be thorough just in case. Because I we didn't discuss our list at all before this, so lesson for next time. Yep. I can definitely hit some of the highlights. Sixteen is a
1: sixteen is a lot of separate small conversations to yeah. to squeeze in. Um, do you have, if you have any exact kind of prioritization that might be a good idea, we might get burnt out before we get through your list. Um, but I think I would let you start since you have so many more to get through.
0: Yes. I guess one thing I can do too is group things together for categorical of inspirations. inspirations. Uh, yeah, first sure. thing,
1: That's yeah. a good idea. First
0: thing, yeah. Calvin and I are also the first time recording on videos. We actually can see, you know, the one's about to talk see, or yeah. hasn't finished yet. So hopefully will be a few like less cutoffs. cut-offs. We've, never We've never done that on purpose. It's just the video. All right, um, so I'll group first three together. Um, I'll say visual novel inspirations and independent queer creator inspirations. So, uh, Christine Love, Heather Flowers, who had on the podcast, Victoria Rose, recently on the podcast, Evie um, B, and Mia Schwartz, all people, some common themes there, who've all done visual novels and other games. I found could to be inspirational for doing my own queer visual novel. So pre direct correlation there.
1: Yeah, that's I, I the first thing I was going to say. Even though it's very obvious, of course you'd have a group of um, developers making very not similar games, but some the same. Um, not just visual novel character, uh, categorization, but uh, same kind of subject matter, same kind of aesthetics. In some cases, and, you know, I, I can definitely like. I knew whenever we had Tori on, especially, I could see a lot of correlation between your game and hers um, yep. you share a character between your games apparently so that that shows how, how how aligned they are in in goal and in subject matter so that was that was
0: pretty cool yeah, so they've all released their games too which is an important distinction example I want to follow
1: for for the uh, for the eternal like main hook of our show of games as a side thing because we have full-time jobs just being able to release a game is that inspir- the big inspiring thing another game developer can do. It's frankly yeah. a little bit of a low bar, um, but that's the reality of trying to do what we're doing uh, with the, the time that we have to squeeze it in.
0: Exactly. So, yeah, so being so, the blow points for them actually releasing, actually releasing the, devs, of course, with their own teams around them. You look up look at each of them individually to see who worked the with them, especially the the artists. And composers I don't have the list of names goes on and on um, but that's my first inspiration and definitely direct inspiration. at Atari would not exist without inspiration like Christine Love's own work yeah that's kind of where I think to a degree the Atari probably helped inspire um, Rose's own game a little bit yep and uh, yes so oh, so say, uh, Calvin, do you want to go on to your next one? What's that? we we'll go on to uh, your next recommendation. Not recommendation, inspiration.
1: Uh, yeah, I would say, uh, so I want to start with uh, Emma Mason, who mm. goes by um, on online. Uh, anybody who sees her tweets um, about the vast variety of game development projects that she has. Uh, it's it's really impressive and and fascinating because she both puts out a a steady stream of games over her career. Uh, She has a studio. She does, I think, the the bulk of the development, works with a few other people that that do art. Um, It's uh, Kitsune Games. Um, They've put out Super Burning World, Lorefinder, and their longest-running title was Midboss. And what I really find inspiring is that while being able to churn out these games uh, and then to keep putting out updates and content, uh, she's also always tinkering with something that's interesting um, a rasterized 3D game on the mm-hmm. Pico 8 or a brand new kind of simulation RPG from scratch as an HTML5 game. Uh, you know, all, every one of them using different technologies as toy game projects on the side of actually making a game full-time. So it's kind of like this combination of our hobbyist approach and someone who is able to make a full-time job out of it, which I, I find both inspiring that somebody can do that and I could burn out, you know, that idea that, you know, could you ever make a career of this or would it being a job mean that it's just too much? Um, so it's kind of inspiring to see that somebody can yeah. you know, put that much of themselves into it and it's still a wonderful, enjoyable thing to do.
0: Yeah. Actually, you mentioned a very important thing, uh, burnout. I think it's one really thing a lot of people miss. If they don't look enough into the history of a lot of creators, especially their favorite creators, they do not realize how often those creators either have burned out or had near brushes with burnout, and how often they wish they hadn't gotten that close. So a very important lesson for a lot of people who have the inspiration for things like, say, what's his name, Toby from Undertale had probably some serious burnout. Other developers just thought they've done less than they could have, lower quality stuff because they overworked. So it's easy for us to see the incredible results of their kind of incredible labor and not realize the personal toll that can be there. So both positive and negative takeaways from people's biographies.
1: Yeah, and it is harder to see the negative, it's harder to see the burnout part of the reason why burnout hits people hard is because it's very closely entwined with um with imposter syndrome because generally you don't hear from people when they hit burnout yeah because they also burn out from social interaction especially when that social interaction yeah. is yeah. anchored to the very thing they're burnout about you know so they're usually online and game development Forums or on Game Dev Twitter or, or wherever else, you're not going to hear from them except when everything is going great. Yeah. And uh, people generally don't share it when it's going bad. And so, uh, if you mm-hmm. can find developers who talk more openly about those problems, that's a really good reference to keep to to see when you're struggling that it
0: is normal. Yeah. Like over Heather Flowers told us that this through that, full-time, full-time job doing in development. So when they start cranking out thousands and thousands of words a day, um, creating entire games in months, doing one every month for Patreon, that's because they're spending literally their entire working day working on this stuff. And if we're here, Calvin and I, full-time jobs with partners to support and such, we can't do that. We would burn out in weeks, if not faster. And so if you're here as a hobbyist game dev or aspiring indie game dev, definitely pace yourself according to your existing workload.
1: Yeah. And that's hard to compare. Like we know that yeah. we're just doing this on the side when other people are working full time, but it's hard to put, even if you put it into numbers, it's hard to really scale that in your mind to expectations. Yeah.
0: Like I would much rather see you listener put out one game every three months for 10 years and put out five games in five months and then not see anymore for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, um, what would your next category be? Oh, good question. Let's say big name inspirations. With, again, the caveat that these are just famous names with huge, sometimes giant teams or entire companies behind their efforts. Um, so, let's say two big ones, uh, Shigeru uh, Yamoto and Takashi Fizuka, both high up little people in Nintendo, been there a long time. It came to mind because I love Legend of Zelda, and many of those games have been inspirational. Breath of the Wild, um, the original Legend of Zelda open world experience, and those are just two people deeply involved in the initiation of that franchise. And what else put in that category? Um, we'll see those two. If I could mention other companies in general, probably um, Double Fine Productions, guys behind Psychonauts. Recently dropped a new trailer, by the way, for Second S2. Well, Sinichin. Yeah, Evil Hat Productions. Uh, interesting enough, they're in the tabletop space. They do things like Fate RPG, Jets and Files RPG, another large company doing a lot. Medium, smallish company, really. Lots more than Nintendo. Um, doing many amazing games. I, I really I find
1: it interesting that. To see Miyamoto still working on Mario games for oh, yeah. as long, um, especially given the origins. Like, there were so many constraints, and, you know, Mario came out with, with the NES, Mario coming out, basically, this is the game that you could make with no background in making games for that kind of system and no real inspiration to draw from. And the idea that, like, one person could stay excited and energized about something that they came up with in such a small scale early on and, and has not decided that it's no longer for them. Most franchises of anything yeah. have been handed off from the original creators by, by that point, whether it's movie series or, or many games, even getting sold off to completely other studios, none of that, that would ever happen with Mario, but the same people still being passionate about the characters in the worlds and the the games they created that long for decades is Itself really, really inspiring. Uh, for a similar reason as, um, as I said about the Kasuna Games uh, developer, because seeing somebody pour that much in and still get something out of it is, is really inspiring. Because I, you know, kind of dread that if I have a great idea and I actually do execute on it, and will I kind of ruin it for myself once I am mm-hmm. able to put stuff out. Yeah, a little bit of impossible well, I don't want to see more too, of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Of course, it's kind of a little ridiculous for me to say, well, gosh, I don't want to give myself the problem of creating a <laughs> Mario. But, you know, it's it's a metaphor for yeah. Um, yeah. the time you have to spend with your creation.
0: Very true. So... So what's my piece on that? It's like, is they man- people are managing to make companies out of their their initial business ventures, hobbies, whatnot, and they're not really indie hobby devs, but they started off that way in many cases. I'm not so sure about the Nintendo ones, but you know, uh, had, Nintendo has its own company behind it, but still people treading new ground, being experimental even within that already then old company and what made them into what they are today. Um, so, I guess that's me for that part. How about back to you, Calvin?
1: So, um, the second game developer that I often think of uh, for for inspiration is uh, a guy named uh, Christer Katala. He goes by McFunkyPants online. Uh, Many game developers know of him, you probably do. Um, And what's he kind of does our thing full time in a very literal sense? He is a full time hobby developer. I don't know where all of this money comes from. I think he does some small contract work. He does a lot of teaching and mentoring um, and, and running uh, projects online that, that inspire people to make games. He runs the one game a month club. Uh, he runs um, another kind of like a uh, class-based create game projects uh, in, in teams um, lessons that, that he runs, but he essentially has been able to make a full-time job out of, game dev as a hobby which is remarkable and he's probably the only person who got lucky enough to be able to do that and one of the outcomes of that is that if you look at his his website or he lists the games that he's made he lists 48 separate games wow. and those don't include the game jams that he does at least a dozen of every year or the one game a month games but he churns out all the time uh, so wow. we, we talked about like the scale of time if you are doing that and not even into one game, but you know in this case just into every single thing that strikes his fancy, uh, it's just it's amazing to see how much passion he has for game dev for game dev's sake, which is a topic we covered a couple episodes back. Uh, he really embodies that that sense of just loving to make games, and that's always inspiring to see.
0: Yeah. Like even if we don't shoot for that incredible kind of individual success, it's still a north star to aim towards. Like, aim for, uh, like shoot for the stars, um, and still hit the moon kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just look at their biography, look at the kind of stuff they do, figure out what pieces from that you want to take away to make your own hobby experience even better.
1: Well, I also recognize there are things about his approach that completely don't mesh with what I want to do, but I can still be very inspired by what he does with them. For example, I don't think he will ever use a game engine. He, he you know, he's one of those developers who really likes the, you know, Crunch. building something from scratch, that part of the, of the, the passion of, of game development. Um, and that doesn't mesh with the kind of things I want to be able to make or the, um, the fact that I don't want to put out hundred plus games. I want to put out fewer games of a larger size. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited to see people doing that. Just like I love seeing those projects where people build a functional CPU out of relays or mm-hmm. vacuum tubes just for fun. There's no way I would have the patience to do that, but it's really fun to watch other people do it.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. This phone go back to my stuff. Who want to do next? Um, this is going to be... How get that a little bit odd? Um, some non-game developers, I think his inspiration. Um, sure. Seth Godin, Scott H. Young, Derek Sivers, for various reasons. Um, let's see. Oh, Seth Godin, lots of good writing. One thing he's done, I think he's blogged every day, even though it's a little bit or sometimes a lot, for several years running, which is an astounding amount of consistency and does a lot to make him an exceptional writer. And that consistency is kind of tactical, small thing that whatever creative thing you're doing helps a lot. I think Jerry Seinfeld does the same thing. Don't break the streak. Writing a joke every single day which seems like not much, but imagine trying to produce 265 different jokes every year. How long that would take the average person. Um, Sky young. he's a constant learner and so much of game dev is learning one way or the other. He had a whole routine, whole system for learning the MIT undergrad CS yes. computer science curriculum in one year and that gets that turns into tools for learning other stuff. And if you want to create games um, and really compress your time frame and squeeze it into small amounts of time, say an hour two hours a day, you need to know how to learn really fast. So you're not burning your wheels on, say, you learn immunity for your first month and have nothing to show for it. You want to be doing right. stuff as fast as you can. Um, what else comes to mind? That's some of the other ones like I can mention about Derek you revisit him. He's very much inspirational as I want to come away come away with that kind of attitude, that kind of modality, that kind of appreciation for the creative process and lack of undue ambition. If that makes sense. A he has a very healthy, balanced approach to creativity, as far as I can tell, and success and whatnot. Typified, exemplified really how he sold his company in C D Baby. And put almost all the money in the charity when he sold it it? except for a chunk he decides to step in for himself so he doesn't have to he can do more with his time he's not sitting on millions of dollars to which he has direct access and he's happy with that he has his monthly annual step in means he doesn't have to pay for rent he doesn't have to worry about rent or essential expenses and can do what he wants and most of that still went right into charity Aimed at helping other people learn music. And if I managed that, I'd be much happier than if I somehow managed to accrue millions of dollars I wouldn't know what to do with. And it's a much more achievable goal, too, like that like kind of small scale than anything else. This, back to you, Calvin. I
1: wish I thought about including non-game developers in our list of game developers, but I did not think of that. You're much more creative, clearly. Um, But yeah, there's a lot we can learn from people of other disciplines. Um, A lot of things we can learn either from the way they approach things or um, the way they they manage their their time and their productivity. Um, It's definitely something to include in your list of inspirational people. Uh, so my third, and I now have four, I thought of a fourth person that I've added, so I, I will have a little bit more, mm-hmm. but my third person is another developer that I've mentioned before, just like I'm sure I've mentioned the last two before, uh, which is Jeff Vogel of SpiderWeb software. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is the complete, if, if McFunky pants is on one end of a spectrum and Emma is somewhere in the middle in terms of churning out just tons of small, fun things and, A balance of big projects and exploratory small games then jeff vogel is all the way at the other end where in his entire career since 1993 all the the whole time working for himself he has built two maybe three engines for his games um because every single one of them is an isometric rpg story-driven turn-based um thing and through all that, he's built 26 indie RPGs and only has uh, three different franchises of which they are all series or sequels of the original. So he definitely does a lot with taking a core seed, uh, whether that's the technology or the the, the the story and content, and just doesn't stretch it out, but keeps pulling from it, keeps growing mm-hmm. new things from it. Um, in a way that, you know, he takes what he loves to do, he gets good at doing that thing, and he just keeps doing it. Um, he's been able to keep coming up with new stories and new adventures to build his his games around, um, w- without building a lot of different kinds of games. He just makes these one things and makes them well. Um, they look a lot like they did ten or fifteen years ago because he just sticks with what works. He's not always chasing new technology and mm. trying to start over from scratch because it's a new version of Unity to try out. You know, he just sticks with what works uh, in yep. a way that I need to learn to do much better because I, you know, I'm always chasing shiny things. I'm better at than I used to be, but it's definitely something that's uh, marked my development process for most of my career. So it's important to see people who are able to focus a lot more than that and also who are able to keep a focus for the kind of things that they're making for a long time, like, you know, that is his whole career is going to be making these games that all are connected or look the same because that's what he likes to make.
0: That's an important thing you had in there, qualifier, his career. It's easy to forget that. You and I, Calvin, our careers, which is to say where we work in tech is much same year, more consistent from the outside than, uh, Easily realize you've been doing, I've been to a software developer for going on X years, or X, X years. And so that's been consistent that way. Your thing, you've been doing your very things in tech for long stretches of time. We're just so used to careers being defining people's work, we forget that when it comes to gaming, set other creative endeavors, those two are careers with a lot of consistent effort We're just over time right okay let me go over my checklist i was gonna
1: say i i also um well another thing that i draw from is if i could do better about using the same technology for a long time you know that idea of creating a base that you build on top of that would be fantastic to apply to a hobbyist game dev approach because it's much more efficient than the way that I've made all these games. Where I am starting every single one from scratch, and that takes a lot of time that I don't have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that's like what I try to do with anthropologies is steady work every day. like the one since I started last streak, there's been like one day I missed that was because of a health issue, and it's been consistent since then as well. So pretty much one long streak still. Yeah. Um. I guess some more bullet points I can go over. See what we find there. Sure. Um, the one that I mentioned before, Lauren Schmidt, they are definitely much more exploratory in their work, um, so closer mm-hmm. to well, you mentioned like uh, funky Pants in terms of different games, up to almost unrecognizable, but they get very deep into design, pixel art theory, this managing game space often challenging what we consider a game on that deep level, as that kind of theoretical work is very inspirational. I know that I can get to that kind of like meta level, but it's not anytime soon, but one of those things to inspire to. Um, I want to mention, was it Subset Games? Subset Games, the creators behind Into the Breach, because they executed so well on Into the Breach, and the whole process there. I would actually would love to delve more into that process, see what kind of tactics, strategies I could find development-wise to create a game as amazing as Into the Breach. Um, cardboard Computer comes to mind. The creators of Kentucky About Zero, kind of contemporary uh, surrealism that I find challenging to get my head around as an author cause I tend much more towards believable or explicitly not unbelievable so magic or sci-fi and that kind of surrealism given to the degree to which i don't understand it means there's a gap in understanding that i want to fill to expand myself as a creator let's see um uh, Stephen you in passing uh scott mcleod comes to mind i read a lot of his i read more of his books on comics so i have his actual comics and that's definitely been a subconscious influence on Anthrotari in terms of pacing, framing, visualizations, whatnot. Because the visual novel often is much more comic-like in its presentation and flow and whatnot than many people realize. He was looking at the same panel over and over for much, much of the game. Uh, JC Morningstar comes to mind, since he does many different tabletop RPGs, so very experimental changes up the format and genre a lot everything well, from well, classic talk well, to well, dice uh, to card based games you only have a deck of cards you know even dice very much a storytelling game person go ahead
1: that was uh Jesse Morningstar Jason Morningstar yes Jason that's right yeah. I know him because yeah. I worked with his brother my last job um, IT guy was his brother I've known him for 10 years and um, he always is talking about Jason's games. They used to run LARP sessions out yeah. of um, the office. They still do. Well, they will once everything is over. Yeah. Uh, I did not want to interrupt your, your <laughs> list, but I find it fascinating that the people you you, you know uh, brought in from this inspiration list, there's like, like a connection to people I know around here and uh, just shows how close-knit uh, the game dev community yeah. can be and
0: how many connections there are everywhere. I've met him too. After going yeah. by his games, we even we're both in the same bark Jam back when conventions were a thing, and that's quite fun. So yeah, we're vaguely acquainted. Like you might recognize my face. <laughs> um, but yeah, small world. Maybe the commission, this small world. So side note: um, be kind to the people you meet in game dev because they're probably going to remember you, and you're probably going to run them again later. And that's mission. It's just a good thing to do in general. Massive people. Nasty people. And mm-hmm. remember to treat your heroes like humans, because they are humans and not actually heroes. And avoid the pistol stuff. And you know, don't be a type. pee type. Them approach them as you would want to be approached by another random stranger. And the kind of self awareness that way is to be a big boon in general. Yeah. because so remember, all these people are people. Yes. Um, those are
1: really important to remember um, it's sometimes I think people look at people more as companies or brands or faceless faces uh, you know like just fronts for whatever product they're 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 representing and don't look at them as people and don't think about the scale of that community where everybody you speak to will know many people you try to work with later and that's yeah. Something you have to learn early on. If it if you have a short fuse, you need to learn it even earlier. Okay. Um, I think that um, we are at a good time that we should shift into um, some updates that we've been doing. Um, all of the people that we talked about and the things that we love that they've made will be included in the, the show notes. Um, I missed a couple during the conversation, so I'll come back to you later to fill those in and. Um, let you get any anything you really can't drop off uh, to add, I think we should move over to you know, what we've been doing and what we've been planning.
0: It's like passing mention of Stephen Cressfield, who I don't know much about him individually, but his books like Do the Work are very good. Because that as the title says, it's directions how to actually do the work. Which hobbyists, non hobbyists, indie professional you have to do the work. hmm uh, so, you yes, get on to what you've been reading, watching, whatnot.
1: Yeah. Right. So, um,
0: you first.
1: Yeah. Um, I have been, I picked up Hank Green's, no, not Hank Green, John Green? One of the Greens. Um, it's Hank Green's second book. And I realized then that it was a second book. I actually didn't re- recognize that. So, I ordered his first one, too. Um, which is an absolutely remarkable thing. And I've been reading that first before I get into the sequel. Um, And it's fantastic. It's a sci-fi book that's barely about science fiction. It's a science fiction book that's all about tweeting and the fame on the internet that can disrupt somebody's life uh, when they become part of the the public face of some viral sensation or huge public event. Um, It's really really interesting way to tell a science fiction story from that deeply personal uh, effect that it has on somebody's life. Who's twisted up in it. Um, That that's been, that's been really great. Um, And then I've been watching warrior nun uh, Mm. on Netflix, which is really fun. Um, It's a much, it's a demon hunting show with almost no demons. It it really (laughs) focuses on the, the characters and going through um, the sort of p- politics of this, these secretive fighting organizations and the, the scandals going within them, uh, which is a really interesting take. Like um, it focuses far more on the people than the, the, the demons mm-hmm. that need to fight, which is just not an approach that you often see. So yep. that is that is fun.
0: The real hell is um, other people. Hell is their people.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, to and uh, I finally. Finally, my family has been binging through uh, the Dragon Prince. We had a few f- slow starts on trying it um, when it first came out because the frame rate they do with the animation is weird. It gets better. And some people love it and some people hate it. And the, art, the creators said that it was totally intentional and they thought that it was artistic. So whatever they were trying to do, I don't know. Um, but the show gets so much better as you go through. Um, yeah. We're about... Halfway through the third season, and they just announced four more. So we know that we'll be able to get more stuff to enjoy yeah. um, coming up, which is great.
0: I also make like a little observation right there. It's like a very important piece of uh, artist inspiration right there is they made a mistake with the frame rate and took it back based on feedback. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so easy to get caught up with the people and who have vision, who find out stuff the People who were missing or original, whatnot, and to overlook how often they were just wrong and changed their mind and took feedback. So, that's a very important part of looking at people's inspiration is to not, just set, not try to separate them from the work, but to make sure you see their failures as much as their successes.
1: That is a good lesson to learn, but I, I do have to add that I think they lied. I think they tried a psychological experiment where they think if we tell everybody the frame rate is faster, they will perceive it as faster. I don't think it changed at all from the first to second to third seasons. My family thinks it did because I told them that when I read it online to get them to watch more of it. But I really see see the same choppy frame rate. I think what they did, because the whole thing is that kind of the the modern technique of animation by 3d models and um you know basically it's is 3d rendered cartoon art um with some hand fixing over that yeah um and i think what they wanted to do is some of that if you watch some shows it is weirdly smooth in a way that we don't associate with animation and it looks it looks wrong to be more correct mm. In, in that regard, Smearing. I think Smearing. that, yeah, I, I think that they tried to make it look more hand drawn by giving your brain that feeling of the lack of the, the need, your, your brain has to fill in the gaps. And yep. if your brain is doing that, it thinks it's watching a drawing. And I think that's what they were going for in terms of doing it on purpose. And I think that they still do it a lot by the third season. I uh, don't really see much difference, but also, once you're watching it, it just sort of goes away. I think yeah. it actually does work.
0: Kind of like with 3D movies. Mm-hmm. If uh, I um, need a 3D movie, is that the, is the movie is especially engo- uh, engrossing? engrossing. You're not going to notice the 3D effect anyway. anyway. Mm-hmm. If anything, having that little yeah. bit of like weirdness with the glasses is going to distract you from immersion. Yeah. But it's for stuff so I've been reading really and watching. Uh, I've gotten back into Doro Heidoro on Netflix and quite enjoying that. It's very interesting character development and mystery, both in terms of the world setting is very mysterious because something is really off about it, and what's also being distressingly familiar. And there's the immediate uh, mystery of the main character who has a lizard, a lizard head for a head, which is not normal even within that setting, and then other mysteries building up as we figure out how big this whole thing is. And a really interesting dynamic because you are, you are almost as invested, invested in the antagonist, antagonist side and their, and their journey as you are in the protagonist side and their journey because they're, right? so right? they're both racing to figure out this different thing, their own challenges, both internal and external. So that's interesting yeah. writing right there. Um, um, also started watching, be watching, watching or, on school, or on high school, which was a college favorite and is holding up really well. The main thing I'm finding increased depth and probably enjoying it more than I did uh, growing up. So, or in high school. O U R I N. What else? Um, I started reading stuff by Jason Fox. Sorry, Chris Fox. Chris Fox. Um, Books like 5,000 Words Per Hour. Um, What else? Lifelong Writing Habit, which obviously applies to a lifelong game dev habit. Hopefully, going to start reading his plotting book soon. Those are like those two are, hour reads, really, really short and like a dollar for the book. So not much excuse not to give them a try.
1: Some of those sound familiar and other ones don't. So I, I, I don't usually like if I find like um, nonfiction books like that, I don't typically go and like look for more stuff by the same author because I don't find that they're usually very consistent. Um, but if you, uh, if you advocate for the, the author himself, I may look at more things from that um, and other things that he's put out, especially the short reads. That is really yeah. good for productivity and self-help books because if, if, if they're really long, which sometimes they are, um, it's too much, I think, to absorb and implement and be able to know if it works. Um, more bite-sized uh, collections of, of tips and, and help are much more straightforward to actually apply yeah. to your life
0: yeah like the lifelong writing have a book you mentioned the trip you had the other day where it's we're there we're back that would have been the entire book as an audiobook mm-hmm. and it was one trip and it's probably nothing you haven't heard before at least i know i haven't heard before coming from a strong self-development background but it's all there concise punchy with specific exercises to do that makes it hard to ignore or forget the advice because if it's, that useful tip is buried within 300 pages, um, a 16-hour read, you're going to lose track of it. Whereas if it's just 20% of the book, you can't really ignore it. Yeah. And it goes beyond writing, too. It's more of a pure, important life stuff that applies to all creative and general endeavors as contextualized within a writing habit. Yeah. So I really recommend it for anyone. Uh, what else? Have n't been reading much manga at all because I can't exactly hop out to the to Japanese right. bookstore after work every week. I've been reading a little more One Punch Man because that's there. I've been reading that on the Kindle, so easy acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, gaming, uh, Panzer, Panzer Paladin just came out like two days ago, and I'm loving that so far. Reminds me a lot of Shovel Knight in the best ways. Very Nessie feel and feels. Very bite-sized. Like you can just get in, get, yeah, out, get out, and enjoy it very Mega Man style. Without ever dragging on. The levels are pleasantly short. And the weapon system is interesting. You think you would get really antsy about throwing, literally throwing away your weapons and breaking them. But it's enough of a rotation that your equipment, your loadout, always feels fresh. You're changing out weapons over the course of the level and collecting them over the course of the game.
1: It looked interesting. I saw some people sharing screens of what is some kind of custom weapon system that yes. it looked like you can actually draw the weapon and apply points to different attributes. So the weapon so balanced. That that's really cool. I'd yeah. love to see how that plays out. Uh, does it work for anything other than the weapons? Like any other kind of like items or armor or other equipment that you can customize like that? Well, it's, it's an interesting seeing, idea. Seeing,
0: it's great for seeing decks if you don't want to. Because you know exactly what people yeah, started drawing as soon as they have the option to upload online. Uh, <sighs> um, but that's the only thing it's, that there is to equip. It's your mecha never changes aside from linear upgrades. Your individual self, tiny person, uh, doesn't change as far as I know. I haven't gotten an upgrade yet because you get upgrades by acquiring weapons. And there's also weapons that you can burn through. I burned all of mine on one boss fight. It was just like toss, 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 toss. toss. Um, but yeah, I haven't tried that system yet. I haven't tried the Forge, like the Ironsmith system yet, but it looks interesting and fun. And because we have such a limited palette and limited pixel size, it's much more accessible for fiddling around with pixel art than most any other game would be. Because even the palette and color range is limited, so you're not thinking which of these five <inaudible> hundred colors I'm going to use, like which of these small numbers.
1: You, uh, anything else you've been playing for the last week or so? Oh, uh, Animal Crossing, of
0: course. The bug hunt yesterday. That was nice. I'm mm-hmm. definitely stepping dramatically away from Animal Crossing. It's like I managed to eventually break the chain of playing every day. And that's better for it. Because when stuff does happen, it's a little more interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if the game actually... like It's intentionally more... I like, wouldn't be surprised if it saves special events for when you haven't been there recently or something. Opposed to like a purely linear, purely calendar-based,
1: yeah that that would be a smart thing. But they seem to really like tying it to the real world calendar, yeah, and, and clock. So well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, if they want uh, to I realize you know. I, I, I forgot to cover the games I've been playing at all. I talked about the Ooh. books I've been reading and the things I've been watching, and I forgot to mention I'm I'm still uh, I've been playing through Doom Eternal. I can't remember if we were pl- if I was playing that last time we talked, but I I love the first one. So I picked that up. Um, I've been enormously disappointed, but it's a very fun game. Uh, both both things are true. And that yeah. is it is a fun game, but it is a it is disappointing as the compared to the expectations of a sequel to the 2016 Doom. Um, is it really it a is sequel? Technically a sequel, but uh. it is presented much differently. Um the story is paper thin and almost never mentioned. Um, the rationale for what you're doing and why is not there. Um, the game is much less tense and has no real scary moments. Um, the fights are even easier. Um, there's this weird cartoony platform vibe to hmm. this super gory, ultra violent first person shooter, which isn't a, it's not terrible. It's not done badly but it's not what it is a sequel to it's very weird Mm -hmm. such a drastic change in tone and approach in the sequel like that uh for example like there's a lot of actual platforming elements and Mm. monkey bars to swing on they actually call them monkey bars (laughs) Um, there's essentially like parkour elements in it uh which feel weird all of the pickups are brightly colored and almost cartoony looking um your health is is actually bottles of potion which makes no sense for the doom story um there's no explanation for what happened between those games like you show up in this giant ornate gothic fortress flying through space um that you have at your disposal no right re- no reason why you have that nobody knows i tried to find out and nobody has any idea where this thing came from so what happened between these games is just they just they skip it um and it, it is fun but i wanted more of yeah of the last thing so um i'm gonna I'll finish say- it i'm um, most of the way through and i've also been playing Frostpunk finally, Ooh, that's uh, a good finally which was a Good and far more depressing than I expected yeah. when I started. And I expected depressing. I tried to warn you. I knew it. I knew what it was getting into it. Um but it is it is fun. Um I think I already lost my first game. I ran out of wood mm-hmm. before I could build the drill to get more wood. So yeah,
0: this won't be the first um, time. This won't I be the last
1: time. Yeah, I'm sure. So I'm gonna try another game of that soon and um I also picked up a lot of games on the Steam summer sale. And as soon as I finished this uh, Doom Eternal playthrough, because it's one of the games I picked up on that, I'm going to start working through more. I also picked up Titanfall 2 and then a bunch of smaller games. And this time I made a commitment to, I am going to play all the games I bought. And I'm going to play all those games before I play anything else on my PC. Because um, while I bought all those in July, I'm going to hold off till August before I spend more money on video games and pick up Paper Mario uh, the new one that just dropped. I, I've been I've been putting it off so that I can finish Doom Eternal, but I'm, I'm really excited to pick that up maybe this next weekend.
0: I have a name for the YouTube series you should do to cover your adventures. Call it Calvin Tunnel Syndrome. I don't get it. Like Carpal Tunnel Syndrome? Oh, but like that one Like idea. you're going to get from doing so much gaming?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, like, I thought it was a play on, like, Tunnel Vision. There's uh, a little bit of that in there, so too, actually. I couldn't, actually. Fig- I couldn't figure out what it meant there. You Sorry, I think I, I ruined your joke by not getting it. I'm good at that. <laughs> How could you, Calvin? How could you?
0: Clearly, I need to work on my uh, joke writing streak, which is currently at zero, apparently. <laughs> oh, I so, should mention, too, um, VRChat. VR chat. That's turned into my like, recurring socializing event. And I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm loving like it. I would do this would even if there wasn't a, a pandemic, pandemic raging outside still. Because it's just so much my speed, which is introvert. So I can just like step away, figuratively or literally, in the beauty space super easily, recharge easily. And if I want to leave, I just go, I need to go offline and just check out. As opposed to say goodbyes, all that. Instead of having to go the whole deal of walking away, um, picking up my stuff, picking up my stuff. Disengaging, waiting for a lift, etc. It's just like, oops, I'm done, and then turn around and it's cookies.
1: cookies. Yeah, you day um, you you brought that up the other day as an idea of doing a VR episode yeah. in VR, which I hope we can do someday in the future, not too long, just like maybe a bit for we do some planning. Which was really interesting and fortuitous when you mentioned it because it was literally mm-hmm. the day after my son finally saved up his allowance enough and bought himself an Oculus Quest when they were back in sale because he. He saved up enough right whenever they were all gone from the pandemic surge of sales. Um, cool. And then he picked one up. It came early. Um, I have played very little. I played a bit of uh, one of the wizard games on it. I can't remember what, this, I can't remember which one it was. Is it chess? Uh, but I can't... It no, it was one of those ones where you just could do lots, lots of spells in the wizard tower and just mm-hmm. sort of... It's like a sandbox magic game just because that's fun to do in VR. Yeah. Um, he, he had me and his mom play that, and otherwise I don't expect to be able to borrow it from him for a week <laughs> or two because he lives in it. Yeah. He um, he wears He's wearing it on his face. When this guy's charged, he sits down and plays a different game. His friends have, or at least one of his friends already had a quest, so now they just spend all day in VR together playing games.
0: Yeah. It beats them not socializing. Um, not socializing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of amazing to see. Yeah. Um, And then he'll walk out of his room and it's got the pass-through now, so he doesn't even take it off. He'll, like, come down the stairs with it on his face because he's got the pass-through mode on. (laughs) Yeah, Ah, I'm like, no! no, It looks terrifying, but I know... Well, because it has cameras on it now, so he can see everything.
0: He thinks he can see everything, but reduced frame rate. It's the... Remember, the real-world, through your headset, is the Dragon Prince of real-world experiences.
1: yes. Maybe I've been trying to what? get him not to go down the stairs maybe that will be a good way to explain this to him
0: this is how this but, is how warnings this is how seemingly obvious warnings of products start
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> so um when I can get more time to borrow that from him that will be fun I don't know if um I don't know what really? point I might want to get my own but i I think I definitely want to play around with it I'm not like I'm not like hugely driven to, to get into VR, but I would like to try some things. Yeah. Um, and of course, they got, they got the the Link now, um, which turns out is just USB. So as long as you've got the right USB 3.1 cable, you can connect it. And it turns out it comes with the right USB cable. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to get any extra hardware or accessories. And you can use it uh, t- to play VR PC games in lieu of an Oculus Rift. Which is kind of the thing I was waiting for to get into VR because, you know, I don't. That that just It makes sense that it should be kind of an all in one device. Yeah. Um, and now that's the thing, so I can try some of that stuff out.
0: So, yeah, Claire and I just set up, we have the HTC Vive. We have the- and we just Vive? last night mm-hmm. set up the ceiling mounts. Right. So, so I'm not constantly tripping over the cable. Tripping over that's the- been trippy. Well, it's been trippy in the good way, in that I've. I suddenly don't feel the key. The tug on the cable is almost non existent. So it's like, you're almost like you're headless, like you're cordless rather. And that was, you know, that was like what sticks some things on the ceiling with little hooks and some little tie things, and surprisingly simple for a much improved VR experience. Yeah. Hmm. That's.
1: Yeah, that's something that we'll need to look into if we do a lot of the hookup to the PC. Of course, it's all wireless for the Quest games since it's all, um, all in one, which is handy for my son because um, he would trip all the time. So I have to make sure, especially because he won't take it off, I have to make sure he closes his door so that the cat or dog doesn't, don't wander in his room while he's playing and
0: get stepped on. I was waiting for the next DM, the DSM. The DSM 6 medical guide to have like a, like a rhino kinetic syndrome, syndrome. was to so say repeated say damage repeat to the nose, the nose from tripping over your cord while wearing a mm. VR headset. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, the, the oh, headset here. would protect your nose, I think, because you land on it before anything hit your nose.
0: Oh, yeah. So, okay, so like, I, I think we should. you damage to your wallet then as you break more VR headsets. Yes.
1: <laughs> That's true. So, we should probably um, uh, move forward to some uh, game dev progress and plans. Oh, yeah. uh, we've talked for almost an hour and we haven't talked about our own games, so I think we should probably get to that. Yeah. Um, so, what have you been up to?
0: Yeah. So, aside from that one treat breaking day of uh, health stuff, we can always go into later. Another um, episode uh, Daily Work in Anthotari, save progress on editing the routes, Donnie's routes, in particular was just didn't have a lot of animation near the end. And that wasn't acceptable. So adding animations there, making some edits. One thing I've been mindful of is also the interactions between the characters. There are some mini choices that um, reviewers found a little bit uncharacteristic or inconsistent with Alex's characterization. And I've been editing or simply cutting some of those out I'm looking for more psychologically positive in the sense of healthier kind of things to add. Just last night, I was adding some, adding some, like, instead of having Alex just tell Donnie to just chill, chill. some actual, actual advice, advice, instruction to Donnie on how to go from places of agitation, agitation. to a more like, collected headspace, headspace that would, would have allowed them to actually to be wrong with the story as it was versus just, just suddenly responding in a way, way that was unrealistic for someone under so emotional duress. duress. So one thing I may do back on a later editorial pass is probably tweaks most of there to make sure that I'm seeing a good example of how to readers, how to interact with people online, and or various traits of mental health slash anxiety stuff. So I want to make sure my game is both believable in that way and helpful in that way. Yeah. that's
1: really interesting I, I'm especially interested in that consistency of the personalities of the characters and how they interact and how that would, how, how that must multiply especially in a um, all the different combinations of character interactions and how complicated that must be to get both sides of all those potential interactions from all the different paths to match up with those personalities and taking it do, do you take into account not just the character's base personality, but they're part of the story up until then. And if that's affected their relationships, their outlooks, maybe change their, you know, I'm sure that also could affect those interactions. So that's going to be a lot to try to keep in mind and to have a mental map of, to apply to all those scenes. That That's really
0: interesting how much work you must put into those edits. Yeah, I definitely give a lot of credit course as a push against the big man theory of the original, the original rat creators the rats, the rats were Lane Farlight uh, far far for Donnie Pixel's Robbins Routes um, so they get the credit for drafting the originals and for yeah. my case I've been mostly just cleaning up work on that um, so I'd say the editing part yeah that's been a big part of it Just also my own self development I am a more like, psychologically equipped person than I was back when Avatar was first created. That's one thing I'm bringing to the table is my growth as a person to the growth development of my game over time. So on the one hand it's frustrating that it's taking this long to finish the game. On the other hand it's going to be a demonstrably better game for the amount of personal development that happened over the course of its uh, uh, creation and refinement. So
1: I, I have a potentially a potentially backward question about that or dangerous question about that. Mm -hmm. So Anthotari is inspired by your own youth in the nineties, right? Yeah. So if you're saying that a lot of your edits are informed by your own growth as a person over the years, since you started the project to now, which has been what four or four and a half years, um, is that, is that at all in the wrong direction? If you're trying to capture, um, Parts of your personality or youth, or of of younger people that may be represented in the games. Um, you know, is there some degree to which your maturity will actually uh, is actually inappropriate for the context of the game because you're you're trying to capture that less mature, less developed version of the the characters?
0: I'll say that's actually not only that not only that, that goes. That's not just a not a bad question, but like an incredibly important question. So thank you for asking that. I would say I'm already, what, it was already a decade and a half or so removed from that time period in life when I started it. So it was inevitably informed by that. So question of like, I'll say I'm a better equipped to write it well at this point as much as anything else. So if anything, it's going to feel more authentic because I'm in better touch with my past self various, mm-hmm. for various reasons than before. So it's going to end up being more authentic, I think, to that experience because of the positive directions I've been going. On top of that, one of the core principles of the game design, of the writing design, is that um, I just skip over a lot of things that are typically um, part of stories about queer people, especially queer people written by non-free people so there's not like not making my characters suffer necessarily because those stereotypes of like torture porn idea for any marginalized group tend to get written as if their marginalization facets um, lead to inevitable suffering and that's the defining part of the character for them it's like definitely core parts their basic queerness and they do bring their frustration but it's not like no they're getting bullied for it or abuse for it they to any great degree. It's not like their whole high school experience has been suffering because they're gay, for example. We're focusing more on them as individuals, the rest of their facets, the rest of their identities, and letting them be, That's just be queer, um, instead of just enduring queerness. Mm-hmm. That's important. And getting in touch with other stuff development-wise, helping with that as well. And third part definitely, I want this to be It's always supposed to be something people are supposed to learn from, um, help them reimagine, reframe their own negative high school, early college experiences in a better light and process that would be great. And so my own personal development over that time frame works in that same space. So I would say personal development in those four years has been across the board um, better for Anthony as it work.
1: It's, uh, it's it's interesting. Um, I I'm fascinated by the um the length of time that you have put into the game and and how that how that includes all these even if you go back and do edits you still have um parts of yourself from a a long period different periods of your life mm. in in there both the past that you're representing and the different times when you've worked on it and so it does not capture a single part of yourself, but um, a wide swath of, of different pieces over over time. And that's, that's really yeah. interesting. Uh, what do you plan on doing for the next week? Um, more of the same? More of the same or anything,
0: I, any particular specific goals? Uh, I think I want to try, probably starting today, bump up to two Pomodoros a day, increase that velocity. I'm probably in better headspace for it because I was definitely much more stressed than I thought I was um, to the point of almost breaking a little bit between last recording and this one. It wasn't so much like something dramatic happened that had me off recording um, after last episode. It was that was more of a camel breaking snap thing, straw breaking camel's back. And I'm definitely in a healthier place balance-wise after that and have more bandwidth for um, upping the work in Anthotari, which really needs to ramp up if I want to finish it in a timely fashion. But also, I'm not going to try and do it like two, about two hours a day. A 100% increase. Is that right? 100%. Right. A very large increase in time because that would just burn me out really quickly. And one reason Anthotari has taken so long to do is because I burned out at some point from work most, more than anything else. And that was months, year plus. I just lost to. general burnout burnout. that would rather not endure again. And I have to remember to piss myself because we are still in a pandemic and we're still in the first Mm -hmm. wave of the pandemic and all of our, everyone listening, our own creative efforts, the effort part has to be calculated based on those circumstances.
1: Well, I I was actually about to suggest that in, um, as a, as a guard against more burnout or, yeah. or back slipping, if you're increasing to two Pomodoro's a day of focus on the project, I would also suggest that you treat that as a limit and yeah. a goal. So don't do more than two. Exactly. Uh, you know, if, you're, if you're reaching for that, make sure that, that that is what you hit. If you have more time and you still have some energy, put it to somewhere else or to relaxing. Uh, you know, Make sure that you... You Said about going to two hours, you something you've thought of. Um, you know, could you do even more? Don't. So, that's one way to guard is to make sure you pace yourself.
0: Yeah, like one that hour doesn't mean that you can't increase, hour, but
1: in- yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean that you can't um increase your pace, but that you do it carefully and pay attention to how it how it affects you. So, I, I will look forward to uh hearing how the increased effort goes um over the next week and, and how you carry it.
0: Probably I'll decide that. Probably double some more in Blender because looks forward, looks to be fun. Probably do like a little bit of co, like meet up with someone online and do some Blender together, as to say mutual accountability. Both of us in Blender on our own set at the same time for a couple hours tomorrow. Yeah, just like to get that bootstrapped. It's like I've been saying, I want to do Blender again for a while and haven't yet. So I've been asked a little social forcing function. As should also mentioned too, I. Good.
1: i just came across um a long post by a modeler who um outlined the hundred days of of projects and blenders that they that they did and all the the varying things that they built and textured and and, and painted over that hundred in the development of it and it was inspiring to jump back in because i have some basic blender skills i know i can I can kind of get through texture painting, but I'm definitely not good. And being able to immerse yourself in in that skill was a a really inspiring thing to see. So I just kept that open for the last couple of days. And I was also hoping to uh, approach Blender again um, and being able to add that to my repertoire because one of the things that I keep coming back to that I need to remember is that I am a programmer, but I was an artist first and Mm. I I need to tap into that both to add more variety to what I'm, what I'm doing uh, to be able to, to exercise that part of me without taking away from the, the games that I'm trying to make. Um, And, you know, it might change the games I make a lot. I think that there's a future that is no pixel art for me because I, I really could do. I really should do things that um, that stretch that art muscle that I haven't done a yeah. lot of, and Blender Ooh. is a good way to get into that.
0: I can see it now. The has completed Cyclops. YouTube Blender channel.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm up for it. Sweet.
0: All right. Um, how's your own creative stuff? You should we go to, Calvin.
1: Good. So, like you, I recently. Realized that I've been more stressed um, mm. than I realized um, that everything as far as the way the world and life has gone lately. I mean, life is good personally, but there's this the, the constant background stress. Um, I realized that I think a lot of the ways I've been dealing with it is checking out for large swaths of the day. Mm. Um, we more. always give part of our updates about like what we've been watching. Um, I think that one thing we don't say is how many hours of that have we been watching? Yeah. Um, and I say like the, I, I I use, I highlight things like the new things I'm watching. I don't say that in the last month I've been to the first three seasons of community and I'm still working through the second half of the show. And then I've also worked through five seasons of different CW superhero shows as junk watching in the background while I do nothing. Um, so I'm trying to take stock of where my mind really is, um, what I, I need to do, uh, to what I need to take away to have the time and energy put the better things. Um, and a lot of times, just being aware of where your mind yeah. is helps a lot. Uh, have not, I had not for a while been doing almost any active work on my game because I didn't really do any active work on anything outside of work. And it's not that work was burning me out because I actually work is going fantastic and I have no problem there. Um, home life is fine. It's just, I just, I, 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 enjoy my work. I enjoy the time with my family. Um, part of it is also all time is either work or with the family now. So it's, mm. there's no structure to the day. Um, oh, so I'm yeah. trying to start oh, to yeah. build structure into the day, which is important. Um, because I think what happened a lot of times is I would have a lot of low quality time with my family where we're just kind of passively watching things and I'm trying to work towards um, more intentional time so that it feels like it's okay to go and do something else I want to do. Um, I think what happens a lot is I could sit and watch TV with my wife for three hours and I would feel bad about going upstairs to my office to work on something because I should spend time with her because if we spend three hours watching junk TV, um, we're not really feel, It doesn't feel like time spent together too much. Not, this not in a way that's adjacent. really compelling. Yeah,
0: Time yeah. spent adjacent um, to one another. I can do so a whole separate podcast. Better time. Like better time and treats. And... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so. With that all said, in the last week or week and a half, I have gotten back into development of Last End of the Mushroom. Um, I've added Shield Maiden Vikings that Ooh. carry shields to block the attacks by the mushrooms. Um, I've added uh, River and Bridge Sprites um, that the Pathfinding can now utilize so that the Vikings have more of an actual navigation towards your, uh, your units, your mushrooms. Mushroom path. Um, and yeah, and this is starting to to build up ideas about how I'm actually going to create level design, um, what the actual challenges and structure of the progress is going to be along with the different wind conditions I had previously implemented on the levels. So I'm happy for that progress to, um, to be moving forward again. I've been working on it a little bit every day for the last 10 days, at least, which is the longest streak I've had in the last few months, um. Even if I worked on it frequently, I'd always be at least like every other day. So I'm getting something done every day. I'm reading every day. I'm trying to get a little, I'm trying to, of all the things I want to get done, I just need to do a little bit every day. And that's my goal and it's going well. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to to keeping that up. Um, I think I'm getting to the point that I want to put out a prototype and Mm -hmm. share with a couple people and get some feedback, which will mostly mean that my next week will be focused on bug fixes and making sure that it's very incomplete, but playable. So I'll be putting that together and, um, I'll probably ask you to play it and see what you think. Looking um, forward to it. And I'm going to, I'm going to get some, I don't get feedback from my games often. And I'm trying to make, this is a, a, a project where I want to change that and start seeking feedback and start incorporating what I hear into it. Um, so it's still early enough that I can do that. And, um, Make some changes early on if I need to. That
0: reminds me, um, I released a new demo for Avatari.
1: I saw that. I haven't got a chance to play it because I've been playing Doom Eternal. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> did you get much? Um, did you get a lot of bites on the demo yet? Um, how was the response when you put that out? Um,
0: I'd have to look at the stats on HIO. Um, HIO slash Third Truck. T H R D T R U um, C K. But I got a new Patreon backer, that's what really counts. really counts. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, one Patreon backer putting down $5 a month is a lot more validation than hundreds of views because they felt like it was worth not just their time to play, but their money on a current basis, and that is material validation. And no amount of eyeballs compared to one wallet versus different eyeballs.
1: So, I, I am curious, did you consider uh, making the demo a Patreon exclusive? Uh,
0: no, because it's a promotional thing. I, what I do for the backers is that beyond know, a certain level, they get periodic complete builds of the game. You're doing that. Oh, so they, are, they, they
1: already line. get something like, they already get their own type of a demo that's yeah. even more complete. Okay.
0: They get the game. Yeah, just different yes, iterations yes. of it. Yeah, yeah
1: okay uh did um so if the demo is not just a version of the game that you haven't completed it is an intentionally truncated experience um how did you go about that like did you just block out some of the content um did you start it from the beginning or did you demo you know like sometimes demos are like a level somewhere in the middle of a game so that you can kind of see what it's like once all the elements are in place like how did you go about taking the the full game as it currently is, and exporting a a smaller subset of that as a demo.
0: Yeah, and that you can, that's stuff there you can even do a whole episode on it. But quick bites. Um, so that's from the beginning. Um, added uh, inflection points where normally the uh, given route would carry on, but for the demo it just diverts quickly. Like say, oh sorry, I have to log out, and um, they log out early, and. After you go through all the truncated, shortened routes, shortened route. you get thanks for playing the demo. Here's where you can find more information. Here are the credits. And so it's a very much a truncation from the beginning. For some action game, it would make sense to do in the middle, but for a visual novel, you need that context. We can do more into yeah. that on some other episode.
1: Yeah, that would be that would be really interesting to maybe in a future episode where I've done a demo as we build as well and we can compare notes um I like I like that sounds interesting how it's not just one linear snapshot but these and it sounds like you worked the demo cutoff into the mechanics of the game itself yeah uh, with the, yeah. the going offline and in the chat I, I I like that that's that sounds like a, an interesting really natural way of packaging the demo in the um the language of the game I like that
0: Nice. That, so open spreadsheet for topics put in there but it's also. just yeah screaming at me. We, touch, I,
1: like, oh, like... And we will, of course, link to um, to that demo, and I will link to my prototype if, I, if or when I get it out from our website and uh, along with everything else we've talked about. Um, we have way more than usual to um, include in show notes because um, the entire topic was other people and the things that they make, uh, and we had a lot of people to talk about, and all of them have made a lot of things. So there will be a long show notes list um, that I will be putting together. Um, And with that, I think we have been uh, chatting for a lot longer than usual, actually, for about almost a half hour longer than usual. So I hope the listeners don't mind um, this longer time. We usually try to keep these uh, a little tighter and try to keep it consistent so that people have an idea what they're going to expect. Um, but we also are extremely unprofessional, so you know <laughs> you don't know what you are going to get.
0: We're and uh, if you devs, don't have anything,
1: yeah. yeah. And if you don't have anything uh, to add, I think it's a good time to wrap it up. Uh, do you have any closing words on on any of this?
0: Yeah, just thank you for listening. Hope uh, to see you. Nice episode. Uh, you. Stay safe, see you and your loved ones, you. and happy game dev. Yes, stay
1: safe, and um, instead of going out, join our Discord so you can get that vague social interaction. Link is on our website. See you all next episode. Thank you for listening to the SideQuest Completed podcast. If you aren't subscribed, find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or at our website, SideQuestCompleted.com, where you can find all our episodes and an invite link to our new Discord server.